The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Where does Brexit go from here? That's the conundrum we're tackling on this week's Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Anthony Curry, and here with me is my co-host Jennifer Sabre. Hi, Jen. Hey, Anthony. So, last week, Britain's Prime Minister Theresa May unveiled a draft agreement for the country to lead the European Union. Since then, several of her cabinet ministers have resigned in protest, including the person nominally responsible for leading the negotiations. She's under increased threat of a leadership challenge from her own party. Uh, She may not have a majority in Parliament. uh, And sterling, the British currency, is now basically resuming its role as the effective opposition party. And Spain may even veto a deal anyway. On the line from London is Peter Tal Larson to try and make sense of all of this. Peter, welcome back on the show. Thank you for having me. So um, a bit of a a litany of of catastrophes there. Did I I leave anything out? Is there anything else that's going wrong in the past few hours, minutes or seconds? No, I think you I think you pretty well summed up the challenges. I mean, it's interesting because, of course, we've been you know, we've spent two years, more than two years uh, since the referendum vote uh, kind of heading towards this moment. Um, and the interesting thing that's happening really is that is that all the sort of the con- the con- the internal contradictions of Brexit, um, the sort of the, the difficulties of trying to yank yourself away from the European Union without completely cutting yourself off from the single market and 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 the and the free trade that goes with it, uh, this, all the questions about taking back control, um, uh, all the questions about the economic costs of doing this, they're all sort of coming home to roost and um, and and basically people who've spent a lot of time sort of pretending that they can do both things at the same time and now suddenly having to kind of come clean and and, and admit that, um, you know, the choice, difficult choices have to be made. And that's really what we're seeing playing out at the moment. So, um, Peter, let me ask you a quick question. I mean, uh, two things. One, we should put a disclaimer in and say that uh, Prime Minister uh, may, you know, this is a fluid situation and she may not be in office by the time we, By the time we publish yeah. this views room. But um, the, the thing I want to get a hold of um, is what's the deadline? Like, I, I feel like they're up against something here. Explain to me as an American, what, what does she have to do before the EU takes charge? Well, so, so there's a number of deadlines. I mean, the, the, the most important deadline is the 29th of March, 2019, March next year, which is when Britain formally leaves the European Union. And in the absence of an agreement being in place, uh, it would then leave the EU uh, in in a sort of what's known as a sort of cliff edge scenario or a no deal scenario, um, which would have uh, potentially quite catastrophic consequences in terms of interruption of trade and flows of medicine and fresh food and all kinds of sort of uh, Armageddon scenarios being played played out if that happens. So, but in order to have a deal in place by March 29th. Um, it basically needs to go through the British Parliament. First of all, it needs to be approved by, by uh, the other EU countries. So we, at the moment, we have, a, we have the draft agreement, which has been agreed by the UK government, uh, or the UK cabinet, I should say, and uh, the European Commission in Brussels. First, it has to be approved by the other 27 countries. The, the plan is for that to happen uh, at the end of November. Uh, the assumption is that that will happen, although, as Anthony mentioned earlier, we're beginning to see some some of the individual countries uh, raising concerns about specific issues that they've wanted to raise concerns about for a while. But assume that happens, then then the British Parliament needs to approve this deal. 
And in order for it to be in place, all in place by the end of March, they really need to approve it sort of sometime in December. Um, and that is the big question. So Parliament is basically melting down over this draft agreement at the moment. Yeah, so what, well, I mean, to be honest, what is happening is the Conservative Party is melting down over this agreement. Um, and it's been a sort of, that meltdown has been coming for some time, but you've had this situation where Theresa May has essentially, uh, I think partly uh, by design, but partly or just, just also through her own sort of um, uh, lack of decision making, has been able to play off various factions against each other. Um, and what has now happened is that, is that, it, for, you know, we've we've arrived at a point where she's delivered a compromise, which which delivers on the on the result of the referendum in the sense that Britain will leave the European Union under this deal, and will do so without kind of major economic uh, uh, problems in March. But apart from that, that's about the best thing you can say about this deal. <laughs> There's not much else could say about it, and so she's facing opposition. Uh, from the sort of the the kind of the anti-EU wing of her party who don't like this deal because it essentially locks Britain in to the European Union in various ways for quite a long period of time, potentially open-ended period of time, and they see this as not giving them the sovereignty that they thought they were getting. But on the other side of the party also, people are saying, this is ridiculous. Why would we sign up to this when actually it's it's no better than what we have at the moment, which is being a member of the European Union. And in fact, in many ways, it's worse. So she's under attack from both sides. So basically, the, the Remainers and the Brexiteers and her party both think it's a terrible deal. Now, just, just, let's just remind ourselves of, of, of the, the maths of, of Parliament here. So 650 seats. Theresa May's Conservative Party, assuming it were a, an homogenous unit, would all vote the same way, which it won't, ha, is a minority government, what, 315 mm. seats? So they rely mm -hmm. on the Democratic Unionists with 10 seats to basically get them a, a, an effective majority. Although seven members of parliament, the Sinn Féin guys from um, Ireland, never take their seats in protest. So it's a little bit fluid. But the situation here is, is that you know, you've got what Labour with 257 seats that can't muster an effective opposition to ouster, but the Conservative Party could do it for them. And that's where the mess comes in. Exactly. So, I mean, as things currently stand... It looks like she probably won't have a majority for this deal in Parliament. So Labour will vote against it. Some of the other minority parties will vote against it. The the uh, the Democratic Unionists, you mentioned the Northern Ireland Party, uh, who are propping up her government, will either abstain or vote against it. We think at the moment. And then it's really a question. So then you're already dealing with a, you know you're already in a minority, and there are then clearly uh, uh, parliamentarians on both sides of the argument who said they will vote against this deal. So that means that basically in order to get this through, Theresa May would then need to get probably Labour politicians, uh, some of whom are actually quite in favour of leaving the EU, would have to get them to defect from their party to support her to get the deal through. And as things currently stand, that looks quite unlikely. So then you're in a situation where you have you, the deal can't get through Parliament, but there's probably also not a majority to vote against the government. So if, the, if there was a confidence vote in the government, the government would probably win. So you're in a sort of a potentially quite difficult constitutional situation then. So, okay, let's, let's go beyond that. So almost regardless of what happens, there, well, regardless, completely regardless of what happens uh, with either Theresa May or with the vote on this deal in particular or on whether um, there's another election or whatever, the same choices remain for Britain to try and uh, extricate itself from the European Union if it does. So let's go through the scenarios. First one, there's no deal. 
So what happens then? So, um, so in, in the event of there being no deal, then Britain is basically heading towards the towards the cliff. And the, the key thing about no deal versus the deal that's on the table now is the deal that on the table now has a transition period built into it. So uh, Britain would leave the EU in March, 20, March 2019, but then nothing would happen for until the end of 2020 at the earliest. So that would essentially, the idea is that that then buys Britain and the EU some time to negotiate their future relationship. Because remember, this deal, this as, as far as the treaty is concerned, the, sort of the legal aspect of this deal is all about the terms on which Britain leaves the EU. It says very little. The seven pages out of you know uh, in, in, uh, are about the future relationship versus 568 pages or whatever it is uh, about the departure. So the, the question that they still then have to negotiate the future relationship. So that buys them some time to do that. If you have a no deal scenario, then Britain leaves on in March uh, without an agreement. And you then have to kind of cobble an agreement together from outside the EU. And then you get into sort of there are potential scenarios where, you know, planes may not be able to fly and truck drivers may not be able to drive in the the EU and vice versa and food piles up and rotting uh, in Dover or in Calais. Um, Now, there are probably various things you can do to mitigate that a bit. But nonetheless, it would be a major disruption. And what um, I I remember seeing various estimates of what this does to the economy. Uh, What's the worst case scenario that that you've seen? Well, I mean, you know, there are various estimates flying around. I mean, I think probably the most credible one um, is uh, was what came recently from the IMF, which said that in a in a in a no deal scenario, although actually a sort of a non chaotic no deal scenario. So where they do sign an agreement that says actually truck drivers can drive on both sides and they do sort of, you know, the planes keep flying and so forth. But just, you know, Britain basically reverts to trading with the EU as if it was trading with another third country with all the sort of the tariffs and trade trade uh, restrictions in place. Um, then uh, the, the IMF says, you know, that knocks over the long term, that knocks five to eight percentage points off British GDP relative to what it would have otherwise. Um, so that's pretty significant. Um, which then I suppose would have a lot of uh, political um, fallout and, and whatever else. So messy come what may. So let's go trip mm. to the other side. What if there's enough of a mess made here that Theresa May or whoever succeeds her, if that comes to that, says, you know what, it's a lot easier if we politicians just yet again defer to the people and have a second referendum. How likely is that? And what do you think the outcome would be were it to happen? Well, it's interesting that that option, um, you know, which has been there's been some people who've been campaigning for that for a long time. Um, uh, and it seemed like even sort of six months ago, it seemed like basically a no hope option. But it's coming back to the fore um, and, and more and more people are supporting it. In fact, including a, a member of Theresa May's government, Joe Johnson, junior minister, uh, stepped down basically because he said he wanted to, to have another referendum. Um, and so that's that whole campaign has got a boost. And the, the argument for that is essentially that um, this is a mess. Um, it's a mess that nobody really was properly warned about when they voted uh, the first time round. Um, either of the, you know, so the, the various options that exist, either crashing out without a deal, doing this deal with all the sort of the compromises that involves, or actually changing our minds and staying in the EU, um, that you need to give people that, you need to let people make that decision, because otherwise 
it's going to be incredibly divisive and and, uh, uh, and the politics is going to get even more rancorous and toxic. And so the problem, of course, is that um, neither major party currently uh, endorses fully the idea of another referendum. Labor, the Labour Party is moving towards it, but isn't quite there yet. And then you'd still have the logistics of, A, you'd have to agree to hold a referendum. You don't have to agree what the question would be, which in itself is a contentious issue. And then you'd have to have time to organize one. And, the, and the, everybody agrees you wouldn't be able to organize another referendum by March next year. So you would then have to go to the EU and say, can we have a bit more time uh, as part of the, the, the process of leaving the EU to decide whether we really want to leave or not? Okay, so Peter, let me ask about Theresa May. What does her future look like? Well, that's, I mean, it's a really good question. And her future, I mean, almost since the moment this deal was, the outlines of this deal became clear, um, her future looked pretty precarious um, because there was basically an attempt by some of the sort of the, the, the hard line anti-Europeans in her party to um, try and organize a, a vote of no confidence amongst the party in her. Um, now, that hasn't happened yet. Um, it requires 48 members of parliament to submit a letter that says that they have no confidence in her, and then that then leads to a vote of no confidence. Um, but actually, the assumption is that um, if that vote was held today, she would probably survive. Um, so um, she's probably she's probably okay for the time being. Think, things get more dangerous where if her deal gets voted down, because the question is then, that's the deal that she's presented. If there is not a majority in the commons for that, then what is the alternative? And I think you could yet see, if you don't see a, a leadership challenge before then, you may well see a leadership challenge afterwards um, as people start pulling in different directions. And that would, of course, complicate matters even further if you have a new leader coming in. Well, and if you have to spend time, you know, if, if the Conservatives have to spend time deciding who's going to be the next leader and therefore the next prime minister. And that's, you know, takes a, that will take a few weeks as well. So it's just, you know, as the clock ticks down, you can see this all getting, getting increasingly messy. But I think Theresa May is kind of okay, I think, as long as her proposed solution is still an option. At the point at which, if, if that gets rejected by parliament, or by the EU, but I think probably more likely to happen by parliament, uh, then, then uh, her position becomes very difficult. Um, Peter, is there a a politician in the UK at the moment who is a credible leader on the Remain side of things? Um, the short answer to that is no. Um, I mean, um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is the leader of the Labour Party is a very sort of um, uh, still insists that, you know, kind of he's in favour of Brexit, although in a sort of a slightly mythical version of Brexit that is as unlikely to be uh, to deliver as, as, uh, as the mythical version that the Conservatives have promote, promote, proposed. So, um, but no, I think this is one of the, I mean, this is one of the, the potential impediments to, uh, the many potential impediments to uh, a second referendum is that there doesn't really appear to be anybody, uh, any major political figures who, who actually want to go and campaign for a second referendum at the moment. Um, and so, you know, even if you have a second referendum, uh, and, and you give people the choice between these various sort of unpalatable options, um, it's still quite possible that you end up with people saying, you know what, um, you know, we're probably better off leaving. Let's look onto the financial side of things. So we've got um, a fair number of things to worry about here. Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England last week said, look, I know you're all think basically you're thinking uh, the rates are going to stay where they are or come down. 
Um, but actually, the fear of inflation is that we've got a currency risk, we've got um, import risk, everything else. If a deal doesn't get done, that means that there may be a, a need to put rates up, he's basically saying. The market's betting that rates stay where they are go down. So what happens next? Yeah, so I mean, the, 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 as you said, uh, the, I think of the introduction, you know, the sterling, the, the exchange rate is really the sort of the uh, the unofficial opposition kind of gives the thumbs up or the thumbs down on a daily basis on how likely it thinks that there's going to be a deal or not. Um, so um, sterling is taking the sort of the, the brunt of that at the moment. I mean, it is interesting that when things start began to unravel, um, actually uh, people bought uh, gilts bought, bought UK sovereign bonds. Um, uh, so, so sovereign bonds actually kind of moved in the opposite direction from the currency, which is a sign that despite everything, uh, uh, you know, British government debt is still seen as a bit of a safe haven and also a sign that people are saying, um, if this happens, we just think interest rates are less likely to happen. Interest rate increases are less likely to happen in the future, um, despite what Mark Carney says. So that's, that's really the way the market dynamic works. I mean, the thing that would be really troubling from a market point of view would be if uh, if gilt yields started rising as sterling falls because that would suggest that international investors have lost confidence in the UK entirely and then you're then you're in real trouble well that just basically confirms what a total mess this situation is thanks for coming on the show peter i'm sure we'll have you and your colleagues in london back on again to discuss yet more ructions from brexit be delighted to thank you for having me on that's our show for this week. Thanks to Peter Tal Larson for coming on the show. We extend our gratitude, as always, to our producers, Andrew D'Antonio and Craig Hedich. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes, and please do share your opinions about our show. Join us again next week for another edition.